A very good day to you all, dear friends. Welcome to another installment in our continuing studies in the Bible. Today, we are going to be talking about the great ongoing conflict between the two seeds. I pray and trust that you will find this very enlightening in many ways. Heavenly Father, give us the quickening of your spirit to open our spiritual eyes at this time, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Now, the Bible teaches us that in this whole universe, there are only two sides, only two sets of players, only two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the counterfeit kingdom of Satan. These are represented in various ways in scripture. For example, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, sin and righteousness, the wise and the foolish, good and evil, and many more ways. So no matter how you look at it, no matter how much complexity you see in the world, no matter how many religions and how many gods you see people worshipping in the world, in every nation and country and tribe, it all boils down to one of these two sides. And there is no middle ground. There is no place to remain neutral. We are either of one or of the other. And every person who has ever lived from Adam to the present has been given the opportunity to make a decision for one or the other of these two kingdoms. Every person alive today, day by day, is making a decision, which is weighing towards either the light or the darkness. There is no neutral ground. Now, this system started thousands of years ago among the very angels of heaven. The Bible tells us that Lucifer was promoted to be the highest of the angels of heaven, and after a while, he started to see himself in the position of God. He cherished thoughts of self-exaltation until it developed into rebellion in his heart, and he wanted to overthrow the kingdom of his creator and take charge. We get a glimpse behind the scenes through what God showed the prophet Isaiah. Reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? Who did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So we see that Satan desired the position of his creator. Satan knows there can only be one Most High. He wanted the throne of rulership over the universe. And so he was eventually banished from heaven. Revelation 12 verse 7 onwards tells us, And there was war in heaven. And the word used for war there is from the Greek polemos. And that is what we get our English word polemic from. In other words, it was not like a physical war, like people think that they were there actually fighting. No, it was a war of words, a polemic interchange. Satan using lies and deceptions to deceive one third of the angels and God setting forth the truth of the matter before the angels yet leaving everyone free to choose who they will believe. 
and which side they would join. A war between lies and the truth in heaven. So the scripture says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. Now the Bible elsewhere speaks of Michael the archangel. Archangel actually means, it comes from the word archon, which means commander of. The commander of angels. But that's another study. But it says, fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. In other words, when they fixed themselves in rebellion, they had gone too far. They could no longer remain in the presence of God. They had to flee. Verse 9 of Revelation 12 goes on and it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we see that rebellion started in heaven. Satan and his angels were banished. And the rebels came to earth and carried forward their rebellion against God here. They can do nothing to God. God is all-powerful. So they would do everything to try and destroy mankind made in the image of God. And oppose and prevent the work of God going forward on the earth. Now God works by the power of His love. Revealing His love and His truth to the heart of mankind. The scripture says in 1 John 4 and verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He who loves not knows not God, for God is love. And verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has towards us. God is love, and he who dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. And the scripture also says in John 8 and verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Love and truth. So God works through the power of his love and truth to deliver us from the bondage of deception and sin. Satan's warfare against God, therefore, is carried forth on the earth by seeking to destroy mankind and to hide the truth of God's love for mankind so that people will be afraid of God rather than to love and to trust Him. He works to corrupt the truth of God's word by lies and falsifying the truth of God's word and to persecute those who are seeking to stand true to God in advancing His truth. But just as God works through human beings who give their heart to love and to trust and to live in obedience to him, so also the devil has human beings whom he controls and works through them also. And so this ongoing warfare is carried forward between two sets of offspring, two seeds, those who are born of the Spirit of God and those who are of the flesh. Those who truly belong to God are not the aggressors. They don't pick the fights, put it that way. They are unselfishly seeking to spread the kingdom of God on earth so that others can come into the eternal inheritance that will be theirs. Meanwhile, Satan works through his own to counterfeit, to deceive and oppose and oppress and destroy 
And this is what has been playing out all throughout history, ever since Adam and Eve sided with the deceiver and entered into the rebellion also by disobeying God's command. And so the rebellion which started in heaven was carried to earth. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. In other words, terrible things have been happening and will be happening upon the earth until the devil's reign and sin and sinners are brought to an end. 6,000 years is just like a blink of time compared to an eternity of bliss which God has in store for those who love and trust him. The devil, the scripture says, knows that he has only a short time. But most people do not. So they go about life as if they have an eternity to get it right with God. Again, there are only two seeds. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for them and gave to them the promise of salvation. It was a proclamation of the gospel that Jesus Christ would come to this earth, that he would take our human nature and be born of a woman just as all of us were, and live as a man on earth and as the Messiah that he would be the one to defeat the devil. The devil would bruise his heel, in other words, would harass and eventually have him crucified. But by his death, he would seal the final and eternal doom of Satan. Here is how it is given. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God is addressing the devil disguised as a serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So clearly then there will always be two seeds in conflict. The seed of the serpent and the seed who would be born of the woman. Representatives of two very opposite kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And every human being makes the choice of which type of seed they will be. Of which side they will be on. But up until Christ returns, this battle will continue to rage on. And one of the most effective ways that the devil wars against God's truth, against God's kingdom and his people, is through religion. Just as God has faithful people in every nation of the earth, which together are called the church, so too Satan has counterfeit church systems all over the earth and has even taken over many of them that started off as genuine to a greater or lesser extent without them even realizing this. But let's go a little further. God gave to us marriage as a symbol of our spiritual union with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, from 25 to 28, it reads, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
So notice, dear listeners, that the union of marriage, which is supposed to be the closest union on earth, is given to us as a symbol, an example of the spiritual union between the church and Christ, between the believer and Christ. In other words, just as no person should take precedence or be closer than a spouse to the other spouse, as God intended it to be, so too no one should be closer to any individual than they are to Christ. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 5, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So the spiritual union between Christ and the believer should be closer than any other in life. Thus the church is called the Bride of Christ. God uses physical things, dear friends, things that we are familiar with, to teach us about spiritual things that we need to understand. And this union between the heart and Christ bears fruit when it's in place. For example, the union between a husband and a wife bears fruit. This fruit is called the fruit of the womb. In other words, children. Psalm 127 and verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, on the spiritual level, the union between the believer and Christ also bears fruit, the fruit of righteousness. Notice the words of Jesus as recorded by the Apostle John. John 15 from verse 4 to 8. Follow me closely. Jesus is speaking. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the fine, Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, they bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and are gathered and cast into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In this way is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So Jesus says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear fruit. But how does he abide in us? By sending his Spirit to dwell in us. And notice the kind of fruit that is born when the Spirit of Christ dwells within. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and verse 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, in other words, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, humility, temperance, or self-control. Against such there is no law. There is no law that prohibits these things. In other words, these are the legitimate character traits that are revealed in the life of those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. These are the result, the fruit that the life bears and shows to the world. The true church, the faithful people of God, the bride of Christ, is represented as a pure woman, a woman of integrity 
of good character, shining radiantly with the glory of God. This means that she is reflecting the attributes of the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Now going back to Revelation chapter 12, we get a picture of how she is portrayed in a symbolic way. John wrote, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now there is much symbolism here that we cannot go into at this time. But the point is, this woman representing the true church, she is reflecting the light of the character of Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose, dear listeners, that his people become changed more and more into Christ-likeness in their character. And that is why we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, that we, as we behold Christ as looking into a mirror, we are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 It means that we're being changed from one stage of character development to another as the Spirit works within us as we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. So, the true church is represented as a pure woman, as we just saw. But the counterfeit system, in other words, those belonging to the other seed, is represented as an impure woman by contrast, a prostitute woman. So because the enemy tries to counterfeit everything that God does, he also has a church which stands out in stark contrast, in character to the bride of Christ. The Bible represents her as an impure woman, a harlot. Revelation chapter 17 verses 1 to 5 tells us, And there came, and we won't get into all the meanings of this, just want to just read this and get just a little bit of it out for right now. It says, And there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, So the prophet is in vision. And the angel says, Come here, I will show unto you the judgment of the great harlot. The King James Version says the great war. That's a strong word, but we, we get a picture. That is how this system is described in the Bible. The great harlot that sits upon many waters, meaning over many countries. She's found in every country, over many people. She has millions of adherents and is involved in many political systems. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth, in other words, the heads of governments, the rulers, have committed fornication. She's mixed up with them, influencing even foreign policy in many nations. So Revelation 17, 2 says, This harlot with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication, her false doctrines. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This is the descriptive picture using symbolic language of a religious system that is totally corrupted and corrupting other religious systems. 
and the fact that she is called a harlot and the mother of harlots means that she will have daughters. If she's a mother, she has daughters who become also harlots. That is what God is seeking to tacitly tell us through the scriptures. These are also churches which sell their integrity for wealth and position and political influence and in many ways adopt her teachings too. In other words, they have adopted many of her doctrines and follow many of her ways. They are also wrapped up in accumulating material wealth and money and power, while all around them people are suffering, going hungry and homeless. People not only starving for physical food, but also starving for the word of life. But they are filled with pompous titles behind your names, yet lacking the humility and the gentleness and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Systems of religion that are more interested in looking good than in being good, carrying Christ's name, but not living and loving as Christ loved. And the book of Revelation also reveals that in the end times, these daughters will join with the mother of harlots to bring about upon the world the last great crisis before Christ returns. And this will be directed specifically against the pure woman. This will be Satan's last desperate attempt to wipe out God's faithful people just before Christ returns. But that is more than this study will cover right now. Now, after telling us that the dragon is Satan, the devil, in verse 9 of Revelation 12, it continues on to tell of Satan's final desperate attack against God's people in the end times. A short but intense time of persecution which will usher in the return of Jesus Christ for his bride. It says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, and the dragon was enraged. One version says was wrought against the woman. And that is speaking of the pure woman. So the dragon was enraged against the true people of God and went to make war with the rest of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation twelve seventeen. Think about it. The devil enraged against the bearers of God's truth in the end times. Which begs the question, why? Why does he hate the truth so much? Because it exposes all his plans and his deceptions. And the faithful people of God will have an eternal inheritance which will be even higher than the position which he and his fellow demons lost. And how does the devil orchestrate this final assault against the kingdom of God? By coming against the faithful. By using the impure woman, the mother of harlots, in conjunction with her daughters who have joined with her in the end times, to try to wipe out the pure woman. But, dear friends, faithfulness to God pays off in the end. For all eternity, it pays off. Hence, as we approach the last chapter of the last book, towards the very end of the Bible, the promise is given. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Revelation 22 and verse 14. In the end, dear friends, those who remain faithful to God will obey his word. Their obedience will not be motivated by works 
or by a desire to gain something from God. No, they will know that he has already given them all things in Jesus Christ and they will live by faith in his love and his faithfulness towards them. Their obedience will be motivated purely by love for their divine creator, their divine husband. As the scripture says, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. All of these things, dear friends, are in the word of God. And I do hope and pray that you will come to see and understand these things as the Spirit of God works upon your heart. This will enable you to take a firm stand on God's side, comes what may. God is seeking to prepare people for his soon return. No one knows the day nor the hour, but he has given us much evidence of what to expect, what is to come, so that we can recognize the development of these things and not be deceived when they come upon us suddenly. In other words, even though God has not revealed the time of his return, he wants us to know when we are in the season of his return by the signs that he has given in his word. So ultimately, dear friends, there are only two systems, two sites, two seeds, and God works through one while Satan works through the other. And the Bible makes it very clear that within these corrupted systems are many sincere persons from whom the truth has been hidden. But God will open ways and provide opportunities for them to know, for their eyes to be opened in realization of these things, and many will take their stand for his side. May God bless you and keep you and watch over you and give you understanding in these things, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.